It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 164. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, cohort, co-contributor, co-conspirator, and my co-tag team championship partner in podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajors. What's going on, the J? Wherever there is injustice, you will find us. Wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. Wherever liberty is threatened, you will find the three amigos is pumped up for the What's Real podcast, episode 164. Hey, Ed is lucky, Ned and Dusty. You can just tell I am ready as ready can be. Let's do the damn thing. We are loaded up this week. Uh, we, of course, have a double feature that is no longer a mystery, and it is also the last week of the last drive-in with Joe, Bob, and Darcy until June uh, is almost over. So we'll get into that at a different time. But uh, any more? But anyway, one more last double feature. We are going to go back to 1983 and check out The Mutilator and 1981's Possession uh, with Sam Neill, uh, Isabella Johnny. That, uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, and of course, uh, the movies that made us once again this week is The Jay's Choice, and we go back to 1986 for Three Amigos, if you haven't already guessed. Of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more, so let's get into it. The Jay, we have a couple big previews for you guys uh, with two big wrestling pay-per-views happening this weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. Uh, first up is Saturday, May 27th. It is, of course, from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. This is the WWE Night of Champions 2023. And let's take a look at the card. The J, this is what has been announced up to this point so far. There might be more stuff. Who knows? Yada, yada, yada. But anyway, uh, we have a singles match between... They were just signed last night on Raw, as, of course, we're recording here on a Tuesday. Uh, Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus in a match that's been built up on television for quite some time. The Jay, uh, what are you thinking about this one? I actually like the build up for this. Uh, watching Raw and catching bits and pieces recently, they did the uh, contract signing kind of thing, the face to face, and yep. I really liked you know Becky coming out like dropping the the big bitch line and everything towards Trish. Uh, I think there's a lot of you know not that there's a lot of history between the two women, but just with Trish's track record as a Hall of Famer. And Becky being basically in the top three uh, WWE women of, you know, probably the past five years plus, I think the build is is appropriately there for this. And again, I've I've liked what they've been doing to build up the uh, the big match here for them. Yeah, me too. Actually, I've been kind of surprised by this. I didn't realize they were kind of gonna go down this path with it. I figured at the time maybe you know it was just to get another match or something out of Trish, but Trish has been back a lot more frequently than I expected. So I kind of like that as well. Uh, it's good for Becky. Like if Becky's not going to be involved in the title picture and things like that, find something else interesting for her to do. And I think that's exactly what they're doing with this. Uh, so this is something that I'm fairly interested in, even though I'm not going to watch this show for obvious reasons that I've went over here on the show before, but I'm interested to see the results of the show one way or another. Um, so that'll be definitely interesting. Hold on I, a second. I, the J, my I, bad. You want to pause? <laughs> professionals here on the what's real podcast folks but i, I was going to bring up asking you if you heard about some behind the scenes controversy we don't have to go on a tangent by any means but just bringing up trish stratus with medusa making comments about trish because i, I wouldn't think it'd be a work you know you know 
I seen something about this, but I wasn't really sure what the hell was going on with it. So I just kind of was like, I don't know, whatever. And I didn't hear anything else about it again. So I don't really know what it's about. I don't really foresee Medusa coming back in any capacity at this point. So unless she's going, you know, as they say, going into business for herself, trying to throw that out there, yeah, seeing, seeing Trish come back and everything. Yeah, it's always possible, I guess. But uh, I don't think they're looking to do that anyway. So who knows? I, but then again, I don't know. Like, it's weird how like Lita completely fell out of all this, too, because she was involved in this whole angle and then she just disappeared, basically. So that was kind of strange. So I don't who knows? I don't know what this is really leading to. That could all be part of all of this. Uh, before it's all said and done, but yeah, I, you well, know, with our our power of our sponsor, the interwebs. Hey Ed, uh, this article is saying that it all started with Medusa saying Trish Stratus ghosted her, something along those lines. So she started you know re- reaching out, talking shit. So Ugh, whatever, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> what it is at this point. Uh, also, we have a WWE SmackDown Women's Championship matchup between Rhea Ripley and Natalia. Uh, this is one of those kind of thrown together title shot things because obviously Rhea is getting a big build and she ain't going to be losing this match or any match really anytime soon. Uh, so I just see this as a throw on, uh, but whatever. I mean, it's, you know, it's another, they, they do that with Natty every once in a while because she's been there forever. So they'll throw her in the title match just because they can, but it's not generally as a serious contender. So right, that's basically what I expect here. It still should be a decent match as well with the the veteran and and Rhea's current run and and just crushing, and that's why they're doing it. It's kind of just a spotlight for for Rhea Ripley to defend the title. Yep, I would think so too. And also, we have a a rematch here, uh, a WWE Raw Women's Championship matchup between Bianca Belair and Asuka. Um, You know, it is what it is. I don't expect anything major out of this one because I don't think they're looking to do a title change or really even that big of a match. I haven't even seen much build up for this on TV as of late either. So it's just it just kind of feels like another throw together match, even though it is a rematch from a pretty solid match that happened earlier this year. Right, from WrestleMania. I'll, I'll watch these two women go at it whenever. I think they're two of the most athletic women in the WWE, if not the. And it's always going to be good in-ring stuff. It's, as we always say, dependent on the booking, timing, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm definitely thinking they'll have another good match. It, it kind of stems from after their match at WrestleMania 39, um, Belair was trying to shake Asuka's hand, and she spit the green mist, so she officially turned heel. Yep. So I think that's kind of good. Asuka needed kind of a, a, a different kind of fresh coat of paint so right and, and route to take with with her character so that kind of did it so we'll, we'll see what happens stemming from this but again i think this is going to be a good in-ring match between these two women another match that does have some potential as weird as it may be is the wwe intercontinental championship matchup with champion guther defending against mustafa ali for what feels like the 33rd time they've kind of like rebooted him in some way shape or form but not his fault um, again, like you were just talking about the previous match, it always depends on timing and what they're really trying to do with it. But this has potential to be a pretty good match, I think, nonetheless. Uh, Guther's just on a roll, man. Uh, Mustafa Ali is is very athletic. So it's one of those ones where I think they can do a lot of really cool spots. I think it's going to be really hard hitting. Mustafa Ali better get ready to have some welts, bumps, and bruises. That's for sure in this. And and it's going to be another spotlight for Gunther to to show what he can do as a dominant intercontinental champion. And it goes into what we've discussed before on the podcast. Hey, Ed, when we bring up Gunther, he's the first really strong 
WWE Intercontinental Champion in some time. And I yeah. really like how they build him up. And, and again, this is just going to be kind of a highlight spotlight match. And this is a perfect spot for Ali. He'll get a, a nice shine, you know, big, big, huge show here and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not sure what, what's his nationality. Does his nationality have anything to do with no. being in Saudi nope. Arabia? Okay. I just wanted to bring that up. Not that I know of it. anyways. Okay. I don't believe so. But, but yeah, I think this will be a good match. And yeah, definitely see Gunther uh, being highlighted here to, to show his strength as the current Intercontinental Champion. Uh, we have a tag team match for the WWE Undisputed Tag Team Championship with champions Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending against the Bloodline team of Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. Uh, this is just a continuation of the storyline to me. Um, I do think it's interesting here. I do think there is potential and possibility that uh, the Bloodline wins the tag belts. Um, not quite sure if they're going to pull the trigger on that or not, but nonetheless, uh, I do think this has potential to be a pretty solid match. Yeah, this is going to be good. I like the way that they continue to build this up. It's not getting stale to me. And again, this is another one of those matchups I could pretty much watch whenever. Uh, you know, they're four top pros. They have really good chemistry. So it's going to be really good. I think the standout thing to bring up here, Hey Ed, is the interesting thing. You know, again, another behind the scenes kind of note where this this turn marks Zayn's first Saudi Arabian event since uh, live tour in 2014. You know, obviously due to the relations between Saudi Arabia and Syria, uh, but they've they've been restored after they had been suspended amidst the Syrian conflict that broke in 2011. So that resulted in Zayn not working any of the, the Saudi Arabian events. So this additionally also marks Kevin Owens' first Saudi Arabian event since the Greatest Royal Rumble in 2018, as he had not worked any of the events in support for Sami Zayn. So that's, yep. that's an interesting thing that they decided to go back and, and do it here in Saudi Arabia. Uh, but, you know, just, just more... Uh, added fuel to the storyline and, and to this match that, again, I think it's, it's going to be a really good match because it always is with these two teams. And next up is the match that they've probably been devoting the most TV time to recently is the matchup between Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. Uh, they continue to do that this past week on Monday Night Raw where they're, you know, Cody's very hurt after a couple collisions with Brock throughout the course of Raw. And, uh, you know, it, it looks like they're obviously leaving an out here for them to be able to do something pretty quickly and easily at this show. So I'm not expecting this to be some groundbreaking match, although it's just going to be another stepping stone here in the entire storyline with these two, because I don't think they're done at, uh, at this event either. So it's going to continue on most likely, because what they're trying to do is make Cody look like an absolute babyface monster here. Um, and they've done a great job with it so far. So at the very least, I'm willing to see where they go with it right here. This is going to be their the WWE's number one feud of the summer. You know, like you said, getting yeah. kind of the most yep. shine and TV time. You know, they they even open Raw with Cody getting jumped by Brock, like you were mentioning, and and that's all great, man. Because you know these guys obviously know what they're doing, and when and when Brock is going to make it look like he's annihilating you, he's going to really make it look like he's annihilating you. And yep. you know, for those that didn't see Raw, he jumped them backstage and was just throwing them through tables and off all the equipment and everything, he and tried to he hit his his arm with a keg. Okay, a keg. Yes. So. <laughs> Very believable. And then that even followed up with Paul Heyman making a, a rare appearance on Raw to kind of even add fuel to the fire of this feud and kind of talk about it on Raw. So, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think this is a stepping stone, as you mentioned, in the feud. And it wouldn't make storyline-wise a, a long match in, in Cody being competitive anyway for what they did. You know, so, yeah. uh, you know, if you have any semblance of 
wrestling psychology, you would think that this is just going to be kind of a, a continuation of this feud. It will just be interesting to see exactly specifically how they do that. Absolutely. And in the main event, what seems most likely here, unless they do Cody and Brock again, but uh, is the tournament final for the inaugural World Heavyweight Championship between Seth freaking Rollins and AJ Styles. Uh, this has potential to be a fantastic match. Uh, obviously, whenever we do our predictions here, I'll get into the finish and things like that. But yeah, I mean, I think that given the right amount of time and stuff like that, these two can go out there and have an absolute banger of a match. Yeah, it, it, it adds even more to it. He had the fact that AJ has been out mm. due to injury for quite some time. So yep. we haven't seen AJ all like that other than the past few weeks, you know, and then of course this is going to be the, the biggest highest spotlighted match since his return from injury uh, recently. So I'm really looking forward to this match. They sure can tear it down. I think they're going to get the time, uh, you know, say what you will about the Saudi shows. I completely agree with you on how you feel. Hey, Ed, but nonetheless, the atmosphere is, is still pretty cool in the big stadium and everything. Albeit the audience can be kind of weird, of course, just due to the, uh, just the international flair of, of how they see and perceive the WWE product. But nonetheless, I think within this atmosphere and the setting and, and this being for the inaugural WWE championship tournament finals, th this is going to be really good. My hopes are that it's a, an all-time classic. I mean, why wouldn't you hope for that? Absolutely. So uh, here are the, that is the seven match card that's been announced up to this point. So let's hit them with some predictions. The J. Uh, first up is Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Uh, I think that it's very possible Becky wins this match, but it's only telling if they're going to continue the feud or not. But I think that uh, one way, shape or form, Becky's going to win in this one. That's what I'm thinking is, is, is as always with with pro wrestling, just got to mention with storylines where they might go, that that's what leads into your predictions uh, with it being a work sport, of course. That said, I just don't see Becky Lynch taking an L. I, I think Becky goes over here. Uh, the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley and Natalia. I have a funny feeling me and you are both going to feel the same on this. Rhea is definitely keeping. Definitely. I concur. Hey, you. Uh, the WWE Raw Women's Championship, Bianca and Asuka the J. I'm thinking Bianca keeps because they kind of held off with, with Mania and a title change and everything. So I'm I'm thinking that she goes over. Uh, the WWE. Well, yeah, I would agree. I think Bianca keeps. Uh, WWE Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Mustafa Ali. Uh, we probably agree on this one as well, the J. Yeah, Gunther all the way. Same. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, Sammy Owens, or Sammy Owens, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus the Bloodline, Roman and Sokoa. Uh, I think this one could go either way, obviously, because they could have, you know, the Bloodline just win and get more belts, or they can continue to stoke the flames of potentially solo breaking up from the group. But uh, I think, uh, you know, this is just going to be a continuation of the storyline here. And I think Roman and Sokoa are going to win the tag belts. I'm leaning towards that. Hey, Ed, but just to have a little bit of fun here on the podcast, let me go uh, against you and split this one and say, uh, to your point, that the, the, it's going to go the bloodline storyline way of them carrying belts and everything to continue and kind of maybe possibly preparing Kevin Owens and Sammy to to break up eventually leading into SummerSlam and all that stuff and get the belts off of them. So, yep. yeah, I'll go on a limb here and say the bloodline. And next up is Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar, the J. Who do you think here? Uh, as we said, I'm, I'm predicting what, what we broke down uh, in our preview here that, that this is a stepping stone for a longer feud and is going to lead to a gimmick match at SummerSlam. And, and to do that, uh, you know, with Brock beating up Cody and he's hurt, 
Brock goes over pretty quickly and, and just like has guys running down and all that. And, you know, he's just fucking Cody up more. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I would also mention like a side note is something that can happen is uh, Cody does get hurt, quote unquote hurt during the match even worse and they have to stop the match and that's where it happens. Right. So so I think either Brock wins or it's just like a Cody can't continues thing. That's kind of what I'm that that that's my side bet, so to speak. Good call. And in the main event, uh the World Heavyweight Championship matchup between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles, I do think Seth Rollins will be the inaugural World Heavyweight Champion. I'll say this, I think so too, but my heart's with AJ. You know, I was mentioning Same. to you we, we yeah. briefly brought it up off the air and I'm like AJ's closer to retirement than Rollins. Yeah, I, I think it, it would be really cool for AJ to get this inaugural title and go on a run. He, he had a lot of cool things to say doing media that, that the title doesn't mean as much necessarily because Roman never lost it. It was taken from him and put in this tournament. And he went on to say, nonetheless, it's going to be the workhouse cha- workhorse championship as yep. Roman Roman is the heel. You know, he he's we, we talked about that. He's he's not used. I wouldn't use the term sparingly. But it's definitely in a certain way. He's not defending the belt every week on SmackDown is my point. And AJ made the point for this to be the workhorse title. He'll be on all the live shows. He'll be on all the pay-per-views, all the TV. That's part of being a champion, and that's what he plans on doing. So I I agree with you. I think they're going to book this for for Rollins. But I'm going to pick AJ Styles, uh, again, just with my heart. Okay, fair enough. So we'll have to see. We'll be talking about the results of that show next week right here on the podcast. And before we take our first commercial break, the Jay, let's do the same thing with AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view. It's going to be Saturday, May 28th from Paradise, Nevada at the T-Mobile Arena. And here is the nine-match card. First up, the Jay unsanctioned match, Adam Cole versus Chris Jericho. Who do you like here? Uh, I'm interested in this. This this was a cool build-up. You know, it's not like the, the best thing of all time by any means, but I, I've enjoyed it for what it was. They definitely need to start building up Adam Cole. Again, another guy that l- lost a lot of time due to his serious concussion. Uh, this is his first big program since coming back. I think that's why they did partner him up uh, against Jericho here. Uh, the unsanctioned match factor is going to have them wrestling all over the arena and that sort of thing. So that should be fun. So yeah, I think this is going to be a fun, solid match. Yeah. Same here. I think it could be interesting to see how these two interact with each other. Uh, because, you know, it's Jericho. Sometimes people don't have the best chemistry with them, so it can go sideways pretty quickly. And then but sometimes it's the other way. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. So uh, next up is a six-man tag team match. And if the Hardy Party wins, Matt Hardy will own Ethan Page's contract. Yay. So it's Ethan Page and the Guns, Austin and Colton, versus the Hardy Party team of Isaiah Cassidy, Jeff Hardy, and Matt Hardy. Uh, this will be okay. It's definitely just a throw-in kind of match, or you know, but it, it has potential to be fun. But it's not going to be anything tremendous or twenty minutes or anything like that. It probably shouldn't be. No, exactly. That's that part. This part of the card is just kind of the comedy match. They'll do some fun stuff with Ethan Page and the Guns as the goofy heels, and and you know, I guess they're like really slowly TK uh, with the booking here, bringing in Jeff Hardy, you know, just coming back uh, after his legal issues and everything. And here he is in a six man. I mean, I get that he's with his brother and everything and and it's not the worst position. I know why they're doing it, but it's just, just kind of funny to me that Jeff Hardy uh, comes back and, and here he is in this kind of weird six man. But, but again, that's, I guess what you do, you have to kind of earn your, your place back, uh, especially having legal, you know, legitimate, like really serious legal issues. So uh, just a point there, but yeah, I think, I think this will be short and fun. Next up is the AEW TBS championship matchup between champion Jade Cargill versus Taya Valkyrie. 
They've been building this one up for a while. Uh, I don't expect it to be anything mind-blowing, but, you know, I'll explain again during the uh, predictions uh, where I kind of think this one's going. Yeah, they, they build it up well. I, I, I like Taya. She's a big woman, can do, uh, you know, kind of like the, the power moves and things like that that stand out for her character. So I think that that is definitely why she matches up well with Jade Cargill. Uh, again, I don't see her them dropping the belt with her, though. I don't think she's a big enough star to do that for how much time and effort they put into Jade's champion, you know, undefeated reign as a champion. So, uh, you know, like you said, we'll go into more predictions, but that's that's obviously the big aspect of this is is her undefeated streak being up here against Taya. That is a very reputable opponent. And next up is the Anarchy in the Arena match with the Blackpool Combat Club team: Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli. And Wheeler Yuta versus the Team Elite, uh, Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, and Hangman Adam Page. I expect this one to be really cool. Uh, I was really happy when they actually announced it. It made me care about the pay-per-view a little bit more. Uh, and again, once we hit the predictions here, I'll get into further uh, stuff with it. But I think this one's going to be a lot of fun. Let me say this here, hey, Ed, with how I'm seeing this match with the news just recently uh, with, you know, especially your boy, the J still being what I would consider definitely a hard uh, core video gamer. Uh, you still stepping in here and there, you know, when you're over a friend's house, you know, I know you're not as big, more casual nowadays, but the big announcement that the AEW video game fight forever has an official release date on June 29th. So coming out in roughly about a month is the big uh, AEW video game that's kind of hearkening back to the days of what many people consider the quote-unquote golden era of professional wrestling games, that kind of gameplay. So why I bring that up here, hey, Ed, because this is the video game match of the card. I think it's just yeah. going to be <laughs> balls out crazy, anarchy in the arena. The, the way they built this up, again, this you know, there's it's fun breaking these down because I could tell you, from breaking down pay-per-views over the, the the run of the podcast, a lot of the issues were that things weren't built up and thrown together. You're obviously going to have slots like that, matches like that, but both WWE's product and breaking down the AEW product here, there are some solid storylines going on. You know, there's, there's some meat on the bones with these matches, which I like. And, and this has been going on for some time on AEW television with the BCC versus the Elite. But yeah, that, that's what I can say is I'll uh, still your word. Hey, Ed, this one's going to be bonkers. Next up, we have the AEW Women's World Championship matchup between champion Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm. Uh, I think this one has potential to be a really good match, but I'm just going to make a quick prediction here. I don't think they're going to give it enough time on this card. That's yeah, going to be point. the issue. Yeah, oversaturated AEW pay-per-views. That's kind of what they've become. So good point there. Hey, Ed. But yeah, this this could have potential. It's another one of those ones, depending on how they do things and chemistry and everything else. But these two women are hard hitters. They can go. And I'm looking forward to this matchup. And you know how I feel about Tony Storm and her derriere. Hey, Eel. Indeed. Uh, next up is the 21-man Blackjack Battle Royal for the AEW International Championship. And Orange Cassidy will be defending against Aaron Solo, Powerhouse Hobbs, QT Marshall, and 17 people to be determined. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is just kind of a comedic way of them doing a match where they said like over 20 people went to uh, Tony Khan's office asking for a shot at the International Championship. And Orange Cassidy's like, okay. And Renee's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'll fight all 20 of them. I don't care. <laughs> whatever so that this is how they're doing it and uh this will be fun whenever they do the battle royals and stuff like this they're always kind of fun and interesting i'm sure there'll be uh a potential debut in the bunch or just some surprises because they tend to do that as well uh but i don't you know I, well i'll get into that in, in, 
you know, as prediction time. But yeah, this one should be a lot of fun. Did they mention specifically? Not that it's a big deal. We don't have to get all into it, but uh, I, I don't know if I caught. Cause I've I've been watching AEW programming. I might have missed it. the The specific rules for the blackjack battle royal is it similar to the the casino battle royal that they do? I yeah. Guess? Okay. Yep. They're just going to pull Same. a card for certain guys or something like that. That that's my guess. It yeah. comes in like teams instead of individual, you know, entrants and things like that. So yeah, at least it makes uh, it a little different. Yeah, and uh, we this is speaking a little bit different. We have a ladder match for the AEW TNT Championship where Wardlow is going to be defending against Christian Cage. Uh, weird. Yeah, really weird. I I thought that was weird when they announced it. I guess I get why Christian Cage would kind of goat Wardlow within the storyline into a ladder match because that's kind of known as Christian Cage's forte, you know, throughout his career as being a ladder match MVP kind of guy. So I yep. get it. But on the other hand, too, if you're Tony Khan booking, it's like, do you want Wardlow in a position in a one-on-one ladder match? You know, you're you're kind of building up this strong character and that sort of thing. But uh, again, like you said, it is different. And I'm interested to see what they can do in this environment. And it's also one of those matches, too, that it makes me think that, like, Tony Khan booking in his own minds playing with wrestling figures. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm just throwing this like, one on uh, here in a ladder match. Yeah. It's like, okay, Tony, whatever you want to do. Uh, we have the AEW World Tag Team Championship up for grabs. Uh, Mark Briscoe will serve as a special guest referee uh, as FTR defends against Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm kind of over Jarrett and Lethal at this point as a team. Uh, I don't really know where they're going with the storyline here, but I kind of just wish they could get the tag team division back in like the order that it was there for a while, where every time the, the belts were defended, it was a banger. Yeah, good point there. I think Jarrett Lethal, with all the goofs, you know, Sanjay Singh and and even Karen Jarrett came back recently. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're a good heel act. They, they really are. Uh, but I get it, like, to what you're saying, like the in-ring, it, it's it's serviceable for what they do. But it's, yeah, it's not like you're going to get one of FTR's classic matches out of this, quite obviously. But other than that, I think it's just doing its, its purpose here of, uh, again, this is another one with FTR being the champions, where it's just going to be a... a Decently contested match, but they're just going to go over. So we'll throw, it, I'll throw that on my prediction too, Hayan. And in the main event, the AEW World Championship is up for grabs in a four-way match as MJF defends against Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and Darby Allin. Uh, they've been building this one up on TV for quite some time. Uh, it should probably be a bigger deal, frankly. Like These were considered the four pillars of the company. But weird booking and a lot of other things that have transpired since the beginning of the company uh, has all put them in separate positions and doing different things. And here they culminate in the main event. Uh, I don't know if they did this quite right, to be honest with you, Jay, but I do think it has potential to be really cool. Very good point, because that's what I was going to mention with my commentary, mentioning how there's a lot of, of matches between this Memorial Day pay-per-view weekend coming up between both major companies there there's solid storylines behind a lot of stuff and actual actually some build-up this one even though it has it i haven't been big on it i'm with you i mean there's been some segments that that have caught my eye and then there's been other ones where i'm like what exactly are they doing here and and that's a great point to make with breaking down each individual act that each guy should be built up at this point here for AEW in May of 2023, uh, a lot better than they are. You know, there was even stuff mentioning with CM Punk being in the the, the news recently, how Darby Allen kind of lost his steam ever since that feud. And he's been kind of floundering, trying to get it back and different things. Jungle Boy has always been missing something. Sammy can kind of be all over the place. 
Uh, I really like MJF's title run, though. So same, you know that that plays into it too. But I, I I completely agree with you too. On top of all that, that on the other hand, it does have the potential. So let's go through and do all the predictions of the nine match card. The J first up. What are your thoughts? Who's the winner of Adam Cole, Chris Jericho? Adam Cole's big comeback. Hey, Ed, I see Adam Cole going over Jericho. Agreed. Uh, next up is Ethan Page and the Guns versus the Hardy Party. Uh, my guess is the Hardy Party goes over here. For storyline purposes, why, why would you have the goofy Ethan Page's contract being up if you're not going to do something with that? So I think they go over. Next is the AEW TBS Championship, the J. Do you think Jade Cargill keeps or does Ty Valkyrie pull off the uh, upset of the century here? In our breakdown of this match, I, I was kind of alluding to that. Hey, Ed, I think that it's too soon. Not exactly the right opponent still. Not exactly the right build for the time and effort of Jade Cargill's run to end here against Taya. So I, I see Jade going over. Same. I agree completely. Next up, the Blackpool Combat Club taking on the Elite in an Anarchy in the Arena match. And I think the Elite goes over here. I'm with you. I, I, I do. Like it, This can truly go either way, uh, hands down. But the way the booking's been and, and AEW programming's been leading into it, I feel like the Blackpool Combat Club ha- has kind of the lead in the feud for getting you know the best of the elite predominantly, even though the elites had some some comebacks like they do to build it up. But due to that, I, I see this swaying towards the elite. Next up is the AEW Women's World Championship. Jamie Hayter defending against Tony Storm, the J. Uh, this is another one that's that's tough to call. Uh, but you know what? While I'm on it, because I was thinking Hater, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Tony Storm and her derriere heel. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Hater on this one because I just don't see them flipping it here in a match that feels like it's just been kind of tacked onto the pay per view. But doesn't doesn't mean that they won't do it. So, but I do think Hater keeps. Uh, next up is the 21 man Blackjack Battle Royal for the AEW International Championships. Uh, Orange Cassidy defending against 20 other people. The J. I'm gonna go with Orange Cassidy over the field. The 17 TBDs. Hey, you know, yeah, I'm going to go with Orange Cassidy somehow, some way getting through all this to, again, it's it's storyline stuff. Uh, It would make sense. Uh, Next up is the AEW TNT Championship ladder match. The J Wardlow going to keep or is Christian Cage going to win? Christian Cage doesn't need a title in his career here. It it would depend if a little bit, if they're going to continue this feud. I don't see that either. I I see a big pay-per-view ladder match for the belt being the end to this uh, Luchasaurus being out there might have some involvement. I know they're going to want to try to do something with him. And that's why he's paired with Christian cage, obviously, but all things considered when the dust is settled and the smoke is cleared. Hey, Ed, I see Wardlow keeping the TNT championship. Yeah, I agree there completely. Uh, the tag team match for the AW world tag team championships, FTR versus Jeff Jarrett, and Jay lethal. Uh, I'm going to think FTR keeps here. Yeah, I was going to say, throw yours out there, Hayed, because I, I basically said that in our breakdown of this one uh, through in my prediction. I think this is just a, a, you know, like I've been calling it, kind of a spotlight match for the champs just to go over. And in the main event, the AEW World Championship match, MJF defends against Sammy Guevara, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and Darby Allen. Who do you like here, the J? It'd be cool if TK had something up his sleeve to throw a curveball and, and give it to Jungle Jack, Boy, Jack Perry or Darby or something like that. <laughs> I just don't see it. I think MJF keeps. Yeah, I don't see any any way that MJF loses in the four-way. Uh, not not I, I with the don't. way it's built up. No, and not with the type of champion MJF is. And I don't think the other three guys are really ready to be champion anyway. I so agree. I think that would be a horrible mistake. So, But uh, next week, we will take a look at both shows here on the podcast. 
and kind of go through everything, see how our predictions were. So uh, we are up against our very first commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be down at the last drive-in for first up 1983's The Mutilator. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that and much, much more right here on the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 165 of the What's Real Podcast. First up, there's a brand new review of WWE Night of Champions 2023. And we're going to review AEW's Double or Nothing 2023 as well. Then, it's the much-anticipated return of the most explosive segment in weekly podcasting with Thursday Night Prime and Action USA. Ha! This is Timothy James with the With Real Podcast, representing Goose or Goose for the 165th episode of the show, where the guys talk about all kinds of crazy, zany things, like young gravy breaking his noggin, freaking chimps grabbing on some lime titties, headlines with articles that are from Cedar Rapids about ring rats, Sovereign Air Dally having an ant eater. I, I think I'm going to have a heart attack, Goose or Goose. All that and much more next week on episode 165 of the What's Real Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. And we're back, and we're actually back down at the last drive-in with Joe, Bob, and Darcy for the first part of our double feature. Uh, first up is 1983's The Mutilator, directed by Buddy Cooper. As a child, Ed was cleaning his father's hunting rifles, a surprise birthday treat for the old man, when one of them went off, hitting and killing his mother. On seeing the bloodshed, his father flew into a murderous rage. Ed just barely escaped with his life. Now in his teens, he returns home. He doesn't expect to find his father still there, Waiting for a chance to settle the score. Uh, Please ignore the work here at the uh, What's Real Studios. Yeah. So you got, you know, Nuck Chores is working on some shit. Oh, Nuck and all that. Yeah, we have an announcement coming later to what that has to do with. That's true. So that was actually good timing. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, this is first up. I'll be honest with you. Whenever I saw this, I was kind of like, oh, cool. Yeah, it's been (laughs) some time since I watched The Mutilator. I have seen it before. So I didn't mind with with Joe Bob's interludes. Like I always say, it's like, okay, I I barely remember this. You know, I probably watched it fucking 15 years ago or something last. But yeah, it's not it's not the best of films as we'll break down. No, it's really not Um, in any capacity or way. There's no mystery really going on in this one. It's just kind of shit happening. The acting's Uh, poor. The acting's poor, which I mean, it doesn't really matter in a lot of slasher movies, but like. Yeah, the characters aren't very good or even funny. Like, they're just kind of like whatever. Like, there is some goofy shit in it that's kind of funny. But, like, yeah, I don't know why. This one never really hit the mark to me. And this is one that came out, too, during, like, the absolute golden era of slasher movies. 
at the outset here, hey, I had something to bring up because I, I didn't have the knowledge of it. So w- once again, bringing up the Joe Bob factor here at the last drive-in that we visit. And when the movie started and the text comes up and there's this horrific 80s song and the movie's called Fall, Fall Break. Break. Yeah, and I'm thinking I'm watching the wrong thing, which of course I, I was looking forward, as I mentioned, to Joe Bob's first interlude where he does mention this, why the movie's original title was changed to The Mutilator. Uh, of course, for video release marketing reasons. Yeah, because nobody wanted to watch a slasher movie called Fall, fall Break. Break in the opening song. Like, come on, the Fall Break, baby. Yeah, and it's definitely like, yeah, it's a pretty like stupid slasher overall. Like, it's it's entertaining, but it's also like sort of incompetent. And you know, like, and then there's it gets other things right. Like, but then there's just. It's all over the place. Like, it doesn't know if it's, like, tongue-in-cheek or not. Like, then there's stuff that they try and play seriously, and it doesn't really, like, do a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, whatever. Like, there's not any particular style to it or anything. It's just kind of like, here goes this. Right. Yeah, because here's the thing. The premise could be worse. I will say that. Like, the fact that the dad is this crazy hunter guy, that the son kind of tells the story to the the friends to kind of build it up that like, you know, they would do all these crazy games. Like they, they see that pyramid on the wall and he's like, Oh yeah. yeah. One time my dad and the boys, big Ed or my dad, I should say. And like, you know, kind of gives at least some semblance of, of a story, <laughs> you know, again, it could be worse, but uh, there's a lot more misses as you're saying than, than hits. Again, I was kind of like, uh, on this particular episode, this was one that they showed as like a gift to Darcy because Darcy loves this one. But Joe Bob was definitely more of like the me here during this where he's like, yeah, it's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> like, And it's not like, I mean, and I'm a huge slasher guy too. And I think that like, even they could be like, even the poor ones are, are pretty moderately good, but this one's kind of like underneath the threshold for me. And it's kind of always been that way. Um, the, you know, the effects aren't really great. There's not a bunch of kills that are really cool. There's just the battle axe constantly getting brought out, which is, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the grand scheme of things either. So with that being said, it fits in perfectly for how nonsensical this fucking thing is. (laughs) Um, but it's, it, dude, it's, tell me this too. This is one of those movies. And I, and I've always thought this too, like the, the cover of it or the poster for it is pretty famous. Uh, and it's a totally different movie than what they're even remotely trying to show you from the the title of it, and the 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 poster, the artwork. Yeah, because for those that uh, need the visual, the poster has like a nautical instrument, like a big fishing hook kind of thing that the guy's holding with the teenagers kind of hanging. And if he would have used the fishing hook the whole time, that would have made more sense, you know? Because yep. like Joe Bob even brings that up. He's using all these weapons and nautical reference weapons with the fishing and hunting kind of aspects so that it's kind of goofy i mean the movie does open pretty wild you know it's the the main character ed's cleaning his dad's hunting rifle and yeah it's kind of all it's kind of all downhill from there yeah really yeah because then yeah like you mentioned it's kind of just really bad goofy dialogue leading up to the the trip to the fishing house on the island and everything and then really goofy dialogue with them kind of hanging out to set up the father beginning to hunt them 
and stuff like kind that. of a half-assed legacy type storyline behind it yeah too. like i was like, saying he's like building it up like big ed's <laughs> this fucking character and you know it's it's definitely goofy typical 80s cheese but but like i said without myself you know from my perspective visiting it in quite some time somewhat of a fresh watch for me and and it being on the last drive in with with joe bob coming in and you know spewing some of his knowledge it, it wasn't like the worst watch of all time either yeah, I, if I was going to rewatch this, I'd probably want to do it with Joe Bob and Toe anyways, because that just makes it more of an enjoyable experience. But it also is funny, too, because the movie has a running time of about 86 minutes, and it felt like Joe Bob was breaking in like every three and a half minutes on this one. Yeah, like we have uh, to make this more entertaining. Or, and we have to flesh it out a little bit, because otherwise the shit's going to be over fast. So we have to do some long segments in between. But that kind of made up for it at least. Uh, but yeah, uh, revisiting the mutilator is not exactly my favorite thing to do, but so be it. We do it for the podcast, so you know, no complaints. But uh, as we do here on the show, the J hit us with a tagline for the mutilator. Yeah, tagline's not bad for the mutilator either. By sword, by pick, by axe, bye bye. <laughs> not too bad, is right. Yeah. The marketing for it's better than the movie. I'll say that yeah, much. That can but, happen. Uh, as we do here on the show, we do a five star rating scale. Uh, I'm going to give the mutilator two and a half stars. I'm right with you. I was thinking that two and a half. All right. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. Whenever we come back, it's going to be part two of the last drive in with a very interesting one from 1981. We're going to talk about, uh, possession from Andre Zalowski. So we'll be back with that and much more. Stay tuned right after this, right here on the what's real podcast. Hey, Yins guys. That's right. It's your boy, the J. Once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. And I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel and you'll be able to watch the full feature film the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival Deference Deference the full movie is for free on our YouTube channel then our second feature film The Unsung is now available for free on Tubi Tubi is a free streaming site just has a little bit of ads but you can get used to them check us out on Tubi all you have to do is register for Tubi or if you're already registered go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube Deference, Tubi The Unsung. Churchill Pictures, we create worlds. And we're back, and it's time for part two of The Last Drive-In with 1981's Andrzej Zalowski's Possession. A young woman left for her family for an unspecified reason. The husband determines to find out the truth and starts following his wife. 
At first, he suspects a man that is involved, but gradually he finds out more and more strange behaviors and bizarre incidents that indicate something more than a possessed love affair. Uh, of course, it stars Sam Neill as Mark and Isabella Johnny as Anna and Helen. Um, this movie is very weird. I was really happy that they were showing it on here because I think it's a really interesting movie. Uh, we had talked about this months ago, the Jay, because I watched it randomly on Shudder uh, and asked you if you ever seen it before and was like kind of talking about it a little bit. So I kind of wanted to get your early impressions on this one, seeing it for the first time, what you thought about it, uh, because I think it's a really interesting movie. That's the first thing I was going to mention. Hey, Ed, get ready for a ride with this one. What a crazy film. It's one of those ones that I always talk about that I love that trip that a movie can take you on from point A to point B. That point A, you have, you know, you're kind of seeing what's going on. And then by the time you get to the climax of point B, it, it took you on such a roller coaster ride. And that's what this film is. It's very stylistically made, very well done. You know, a lot of people might describe it. I think even Darcy brings it up as far as like a possible genre that it may fall in as an art film, which then Joe Bob kind of jokingly breaks down that it's like this mo Frankenstein's monster of like seven different genres, which yeah. when you really look at it, it kind of is, you know, like you mentioned, it's almost like a lifetime movie at points. There's horror elements. There's psychological, psychological thriller elements. There, there's even like the, the underlying little queer stuff that, that gets thrown in there. I mean, it just is all over the place. Uh, but we'll break it down. Hey, Ed, just to answer your initial uh, question there, the Jay really enjoyed it. And it really gave me very high respect for director Zalowski. Absolutely. Um, the thing that's cool about this movie is I think that pretty much at all points of the movie, um, you don't really know where the stopping point's going to be with anything. Like every thing that they examine in this movie goes to extremes, uh, which I think is an interesting way of making a movie because it really gets across the, the subject matter and stuff like that. Um, you see the, the first part too is essentially like a broken love story. Uh, and Isabella Johnny and Sam Neill are fantastic in this. Uh, and then once the movie gets rolling through that, it just continually gets weirder and weirder from everything with their involvement to their kid to just their interactions with each other. Uh, Sam Neill dealing with the, uh, their son's teacher, who is also played by Isabella Johnny, and there's all that kind of like intermingling of everything too, and it's it like it's a such an oddball movie, but like it does everything it's trying to do extremely effectively, and I don't think there's too many movies that you're gonna see that are like Possession. No, this definitely is is a very unique experience, and, and that's exactly what it is too. Hey, Ed, and that's what we love. And I know they promote that on the last drive-in too. That it is a true experience to to sit and watch this film, you know, and especially as you mentioned for a first watch. And, and again, just really not knowing exactly where it was going to go, and it just gets so goddamn crazy. And and again, I'll break down some of my bullet points as we get further into the the review. But there's there's you know the point towards like the th the beginning of the third act when it's kind of wrapping things up and. Uh, Sam Neill's character is like running through the streets and there's cars blowing up and he's on the motorcycle and motherfuckers are always bleeding in this because like yeah. she's always cutting herself and shit and he's doing all kinds of goofy crazy shit and and yeah it's it, it's kind of like like you mentioned the beginning is like this broken love story 
But the other side of it too, the, the big aspect is it's it's kind of a, a mystery because uh, Sam Elliott's character, Mark, is an undercover agent, which is kind of weird to begin with. So he was like on a, you know, like on a crazy mission or something. So he was gone for some time, which kind of brings up why Anna, you know, when he returns is like a completely different person. But you as the viewer are kind of thrown into this as well, because it's basically Sam Elliott's character coming back from being gone. Or Sam Neill. Or I keep saying Sam Elliott. Sam Neill to, to this happy marriage that is completely different when he returns. And, and you as the viewer get to watch the unraveling of that with yeah, you're thrust his in character. the middle of the situation. Like, exactly. Because at the beginning, like they don't show you everything being all happy and great. Like it shows up with him just being utterly confused. And exactly. Like and that's being the thing. standoffish. And you're like, wait, what is going on here? Right. And you as and the audience you, is confused because he's still in love with her. She's bringing up that she wants a divorce and she's all weird. And dude, every time you get caught up in the story, the story moves 10 steps ahead and you're that much farther behind again. Right. So which is it, a great it, aspect to it. Yeah, because it kind of puts you in the the shoes of a Sam Neill character where he's just kind of utterly confused about everything. And then pretty much every way that he chooses to deal with the situation ends up being wrong. Uh, and it's because of reasons that are completely beyond his thought process at that point. So it, it gets super wild. Like there's the scene where he's basically cutting his arm with the, the turkey carver and shit. Like there's just a lot of really bizarre scenes in this, but it's not bizarre as far as being like completely out there. Like you understand what they're trying to get through and all the scenes and everything, whenever they're going through all this stuff. Uh, and it plays pretty straightforward for being kind of an artsy film. It's not like, you know, there's not like massive imagery that means something else. Like it is what it is, what you're seeing on the screen. Um, but it's kind of a weird unraveling of several people and kind of how that unraveling and the situation goes on with them affects everybody else around them and things like that, too. And it, you know, like even introducing like their child and just the side characters, the character she's having an affair with, the teacher character, like they're all just kind of like these bizarre circumstantial things that happen around this particular relationship. Great, great segue for the Jay head, because that was my next point was all the characters, because he ends up at one point, we'll just call him Mark, so I don't keep calling him Sam Neil, Sam Elliott, uh, where Mark goes and recruits a private detective. So you get that guy involved. And that's where I mentioned like a little bit of queer stuff's involved that, you know, just makes the movie different, you know, because the uh, detective is like a homosexual and he mentions how this other detective character was his lover and all this kind of stuff. And he's like touching Sam Neill's hands and, and you have that whole character. Then you have Anna's best friend who Mark hates and she yep. pops up, you know, she like helps, helps out with the kid, Bob. Then you have that other detective. You have the man with the pink socks you have yep. all these like really just bizarre, like you said, characters getting thrown into the mix as well. And it, it really, as crazy as everything is, that's what kind of helped the pacing for me. Cause I'm just like, Oh, like what, what's this guy's involvement? Where's this going to go? And, and like you mentioned, she's having an affair with uh, her lovers, this Henrik character. That's a, a complete unique, funny goof. He's like this guru guy. And, yeah. and one of my first standout scenes is when Sam Elliott, see, I keep saying that when Mark tracks them down <laughs> and, and they get into a fight and Henrik beats the living shit out of them. And it's so well shot because of how good of a filmmaker Zalowski is. And he just tees off 
on Mark and it's super realistic and Mark's all bloody to the point where he's basically unconscious and, and uh, Henrik like has to pick him up and carry him and shit. Yeah. Yep. It's that's one of the best scenes in the movie. That I was think. great, dude. He's like he, he like is a freaking karate master out of nowhere. Yeah, it's just, dude, it's one of them, th- like, you could tell pretty much from the jump in the movie that, like, Sam Neill's just not going to win in this movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It's not, nothing's going his way at all. Uh, even when something seems to be going his way, it kind of, like, reverts to a mess. So it's like, you know, like, and before you get into the, the meat and potatoes of the movie and what it really is, like, it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, and then once, you know, stuff starts unfold and then it's like, oh, like, okay, I gotcha, like. You know, you, you kind of see a little bit reasons why things are happening and shit like that. But it does just kind of put you in his shoes to a point, too, where it's like it's just a shit experience. Not not watching the movie, but like what you're seeing is just a guy get put through the grind. Even even when he finally hooks up with Anna's doppelganger, the teacher who's yep. Anna with green eyes, basically, and they're laying naked in bed. And she's like, you don't have to make love to me. And he's like, I wasn't trying to. I'm like, man, he can't even get laid in this. Like, it's all even that's yeah. weird. You know, like yep. you said, nothing's going for him. But as as it goes on, and just gets crazier and crazier. There's two standout scenes that that lead into the climax. And the first one is one that they they break down where the director Zulowski and the actress uh, Isabella Johnny knew that they only had one chance at one take of this to truly capture it. And it was the subway scene. And for you folks listening, the subway scene in the possession is in the Jay's opinion, one of the, one of the should be considered a must watch scene in film history. It's that well done as far as the acting and how it's shot. And he specifically said that Zulowski had no direction for her. He uh, purposely did that. He wasn't going to give her direction, but he said three words to her and that was it, you know, and then she just took it from there. And and for those listening that might not have seen it just for the visual, it's kind of like going with the possession, the, the film's title kind of quote unquote gimmick where she's just fully kind of unleashing this monster that's inside of her by herself in the subway. And she basically has a miscarriage and gives birth in the scene at the same time. Yep. Which is tough to explain. And, <laughs> if and you it's, haven't yeah, seen and, it. And and it's funny too because uh Joe Bob kind of mentioned this and I knew this too. Isabella Johnny's a really good actress, but she's also one of those ones that falls in that category of like being amazing, but she's also a royal pain in the ass for productions. So it's and it's you know, like it doesn't surprise me that this is the type of performance she put out in this movie. But it's you know that's exactly the type of actress she kind of strikes you as. But she gets a the, the, her performance in this is fucking fantastic. It's it amazing. really like her, her like and Sam, Sam Neil crush it. Yeah, Neil's great, but I think she's significantly better. And I'm not trying to shit on Sam Neil's performance because he does a great job too. But I think she carries this entire movie. She does. She she does amazing. I mean, if she was nominated for an Oscar, which I think Joe Bob said uh, throughout her career, which is a rare thing for a foreign actress. Uh, you know, she's a European actress, uh, was nominated a few times, at least a couple times for Academy Awards. So it shows you how how prominent of, of an actress and performer and talent that she is. And uh, this this would be something that I, I would not argue a, a big time uh, award nomination for. That's how good yeah, it is. She, and she's also in a, a lot of other stuff, too. She's in uh, something else we've covered through the last drive in. She's in Nosferatu, the vampire, too, yeah. for Herzog's yep. version of it. So, 
she's always kind of on that like outside looking in type actress. You know what I mean? Like she works with a lot of artistic types and you know artsy people and shit like that. So, but uh, but she's great, absolutely. And as you mentioned, Sam Neill's fantastic too in this one. But uh, as we do here on the show, the Jay hit us with a tagline for possession. Is it desire or violation, devotion or bondage? Your hidden fears will be aroused. Possession, inhuman ecstasy fulfilled. Very appropriate for this one. Oh, dude, uh, like the, the end is bonkers. We didn't even talk about that. She's basically fucking an octopus man. Yeah. It's the you got to see this to, to believe it. Dude, this is yeah. actually one that I'll probably bring up to my wife to, to see her, you know, cause again, it's an experience like Han, I got this wild movie that I really think you should watch. I'll, I'll watch it again with you just to see. And, even, and, and it's a movie from 1981 that holds up very well. Yeah. Like it, cause and it's because of the way it was it's shot. so well made. Yeah. Such, yep. such good performances. It's, it's kind of like timeless and in a way the good know, acting should, should be a cult classic. Good acting never goes out of style. So right. uh, I'll say that. And uh, great choice here. One of the best things they've showed on uh, Joe Bob, too, and something I wanted to mention. One of the weirder double features that we've ever seen on the last drive-in, too, uh, as far as this goes. Yeah, because they kind of try to have gimmicks. Be, yeah, this, these two couldn't further be further apart from each other as far as types of movies that they are. Yeah, at one point he kind of said, this is our, what do you say, like dysfunctional family week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that, that was good because, yeah, that's one one common thing to two completely different film experiences. Absolutely. And as we do here on the show, out of a five-star rating scale, the J, what do you give possession? Dude, I'm going solid four. I, I thought this Same. was fucking magnificent. I thought it was master storytelling, master directing. Um, it was up my alley, and I really appreciated it. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you finally got to see it because I yeah. had a funny feeling yeah, this I remember would be something you, that you would like. Yeah, you know, whenever you stand out and and bring up a movie like you did, like you mentioned when you caught it on Shutter uh, a few months ago, it, it stood out. I just never got to it, you know, because I'm like, oh, when when Hayad does that, it's definitely worth uh, tracking down. So yeah, let the last drive in be my excuse to see it for the first time. But uh, again, I'll call it an experience. I absolutely love the experience that is possession. And as we mentioned here on the program, we are going to be taking a hiatus from the last drive-in because they're taking a little bit of break. They'll be back on June 23rd, so expect us to pick up uh, with the season as they come back on Shutter. So in between, we're going to be doing some other stuff in the meantime, in between time. So hold on for that and much more. But we are up against another commercial break, and whenever we come back, it's time for another episode of the movies that made us this time with the 1986 John Landis flick, Three Amigos. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Gross Fest returns in a big way this year, Saturday, August 5th, 2023. We're going to party like Gross Fest 2018 because unlike other conventions, we are sticking with pre-COVID prices. Only $10 a ticket to get in. It's at the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East. That's the Comfort Inn Conference Center, Pittsburgh East. 699 Rhode Road, Pittsburgh, PA, 15235-412-244-1600 or www.comfortinpittsburgh.com. A one-day event with guests, movies, filmmakers, and vendors from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Gross Fest 2023. Brave 
amigos are real. And we're back, and it's that time once again for the movies that made us. Uh, by the way, the final one we're doing here for a little while. Uh, well, after the segment's over, we'll tell you, uh, you know, the programming notes for all that. But up first, Jared's last choice uh, from 1986, directed by John Landis. This is Three Amigos. Three unemployed actors accept an invitation to a Mexican village to replay their bandit fighter roles, unaware that it is the real thing. Of course, it stars Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short with a whole cast of characters, which, by the way, I totally forgot. I, I did remember Joe Mantegna being in I this. I love it. But I forgot all about love. Yeah, he's like good looking. <laughs> and and <laughs> Phil how long ago was he yeah, well. Like <laughs> yeah. so and dude uh Brink Stevens actually makes a an appearance in this as a silent movie actress, which I totally forgot about as well. Um but yeah, it's uh this is one of the I guess comedy cult classics of the nineteen eighties, so to speak. Yeah, this is one um, of my favorites of all time. I watched this dude tons as a kid. That's why I wanted to get it on here. I have not seen this in a while. So I had kind of a, a unique perspective on it. But uh, also something that I forget uh, pretty regularly about this one and it, until I'm actually watching it. But John Landis directing. I forgot about weird. that somehow. Like it's but it, like when you're watching it, you can tell right. that it's him. Um, but yeah, uh, especially this is uh, right after uh, Twilight Zone. I believe for him. And, and just while so, we're at it, dude, another weird thing to go hand in hand with bringing up Landis as the director, the writers were Steve Martin, Lorne Michaels of Saturday Night Live fame, you know, the fame producer and creator of Saturday Night Live, and Randy Newman. Yeah, who's also in the movie, <laughs> yeah, by the way. It's like, I forgot um, how but, weird and eclectic like the, the people involved in this were. Uh, yeah, and it's a lot of it doesn't make any sense to me, frankly, that oh, like, no. why? Like, what the hell? Why were in why is it that Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short were all like, let's be in this? And it's a weird movie for them. Like, it's not, this is very, very, very non typical Chevy Chase stuff. Um, Steve Martin, I think, and, and Martin Short work for it, but it's, it's just weird. It's a, there was a time and place where this seemed like a normal movie, and it just doesn't to me anymore. Good, good call. I probably bizarre. haven't watched it in since I was a lot younger. Because yeah, seeing it as you mentioned your perspective, I was kind of the same thing in my own way. Like, man, I, I thought I knew this movie front to back, and I do like the set pieces and a lot of the stuff. But some of those details now as an adult, not watching it for all these years, like you're saying. And you know how I, I hate correcting you on the show, hey Ed, but it was it's Joe Montana's in it, not Joe Montana. The quarterback. No, I know that. I oh, said that, Joe. Oh, I, Man, thought, oh, Joe I thought you said Joe no, Montana. I, no, I said Joe Mantegna. That's that's <laughs> you, what you I said. said. The exact. Okay, so I, I stand corrected, hey, Ed. Yeah, Joe Montana, the former 49ers quarterback, is not in Three Amigos. Regardless of what anyone may tell you, he is not. Um, now his haircut shows up on Martin Sheen or Martin Short in this one, but <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's about it. Um, and, and somebody's but, given us a, uh, you know, they don't want us to forget the announcement at the end of the segment. Hey, Ed. All right, knock. They're, yeah, they're working Christ. like they're like working like crazy here. So we have like we're gonna do to it. Yeah, come on, back Holy to the Three fuck. Amigos, one of my favorite comedies of the eighties. But dude, I you know here's the weird thing. This is such like I like this movie, but like there's a lot about it that I didn't like rewatching. Uh, okay, like, well let's bring that up because uh, I was loving the, it. The musical shit and it's like oh ridiculous. you always hate musical like, 
It's just, I mean, I get it. And I remember the stuff. Being my in it, little buttercup. <laughs> yeah. That part's funny as shit. Though. Like <laughs> with all the Mexican the, banditos. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that whole shit's hilarious. Like, and it's a, a lot of it is too. It's just not like if it wasn't for the three stars of it, it, it wouldn't be funny at all. That's kind of my selling point on it. Like the, some of the gags in it aren't that funny, but they make them funny. So, and I'm, I'm, I've never been the biggest Martin Short guy at all. I mean, I, Steve Martin's fucking great, and Chevy Chase is great, but Chevy Chase—he's different doing in this what for him. Chevy yeah. Chase, yeah, he's not doing what I want him to do in this one. Um, Steve Martin's exactly who I want Steve. He Martin definitely to be carries this. this. Yeah, all all things so considered, too. with those three and and everything else involved, he is definitely Steve Martin's movie. I would say his lucky day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, you know, the script isn't the best. It doesn't move right. Like, I think the second half of the movie is kind of weird, like, compared to the first half. Like, it's just more hijinks and shit in the first half. When everything starts developing, it's just kind of like, all right, where the fuck is this going? But I remember watching it and liking it. I just don't think it plays as well to me as it did previously. Because I haven't seen it in a really long time. Yeah, that's the thing with me. I I still really enjoyed it. I I think for me... The J definitely had those rose-colored nostalgia glasses on watching it. I actually just watched it yesterday. You know, shout out to our listeners, anybody interested, uh, just while we're talking about it, uh, as far as where it's streaming. It was on uh, what's now dubbed Max. It's officially not, Max. Not HBO. It, do not fucking say HBO Max, anyone. Yeah, you're, you're not get, allowed. You'll get struck by lightning. Yes. Which that's sucks much because Warner we always Brothers. talk about here on the What's Real podcast that, hey, Ed and the J grew up on HBO. We're huge proponents of HBO. And that's <laughs> what it was. Yeah. And now they call it Max. Fucking stupid. I'm just glad they haven't changed the television stations to Max or something like that. So because that'd be weird if there was Cinemax and then Max. So I kind of want them to do that because fuck you. You know, yeah. at this point, let's just ruin everything. Yeah. At this point, they're just going to do what we really want and uh, change Peacock to cock. The cock. Yeah. That's what I Stream now. Stream it on the cock. (laughs) But I digress. Uh, Again, back to one of my favorite comedies of the 1980s. Uh, Like I was mentioning too, like the set pieces are ridiculous. Uh, One of the first ones that always got me since I was a kid was they they get fired basically because they have too many high demands from the studio head, uh, as we discussed, played by the great Joe Montagna, not Montana. And they go to break into the studio to get their costumes back because they get you know hired to what they think is a, an acting gig in, in Mexico. And so he has a, a call and he says, when I caca, then then you guys have to make oh, that, the move. Dude, that, that's <laughs> and he's on the he's on the wall. And, and so Chevy Chase and Martin oh. Short are below him and they're just sitting there like blowing into their hands all cold, like warming their hands up. And, and he's like, caca, caca, over here, <laughs> over here. And just does this whole bit that, you know, it's he's like, hey, guys. And then he just finally like, yells. Oh. He's like, up here. <laughs> Which, dude, by the way, is I don't know if you realize this or not, but the whole it's an episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes where they have to go into uh, witness protection. And he's doing like, 
all right, Mr. Thompson. And then Homer's like, I think he's talking to you. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a reworked version of that, of that joke. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I mean, and then of course that's the whole premise where they go down there thinking they're they're doing an acting uh, acting gig and it's it's all real. Uh, you know, Carmen wants them to to save the town and everything from El Guapo. Uh, who who that's a great character we got a shout out to oh yeah point, yeah, the yeah definitely alfonso aru is el guapo and his right out right hand man tony plana as jefe jefe is great in it too the the bandito goofs uh but yeah just um so so many funny set pieces man it at one point they they finally decide to because they kind of run like cowards uh when el guapo comes and, and destroys the town and he uh kidnaps carmen and everything so they finally decide to suck it up and even though they're actors they're going to go rescue carmen and their journey to el guapo's camp is just ridiculous or el guapo's fort i should say because they have the the instructions and they have to find the singing bush and then the invisible man and, mm-hmm. and uh, chevy chase ends up shooting the invisible man because he doesn't shoot up <laughs> he's like he Which shot is- the invisible man <laughs> Also ironic because Chevy Chase would later to go on to play the Invisible yeah, Man. Yeah, right. In, That's how <laughs> in Hollywood works. Of the Invisible but but Man. that little detail there is hilarious. Uh, Martin Short's character Ned, he goes over and he he like mimes like pantomimes picking up a, a an arm and letting it go, and you like hear the thud and see the dust come up from the Invisible Man. He's like, yeah, he's dead. <laughs> he's definitely dead. Dude, here's something that's really weird that I don't know if you know this or not, but. Uh, before John Landis was going to do this movie, Steven Spielberg was looking at it, and uh, Spielberg saw Steve Martin playing Lucky Day, but wanted Bill Murray as Dusty Bottoms and Robin Williams as Ned. Ooh. But instead, he chose to do E.T. Well, there you go. Yeah, I like those little tidbits because, um, yeah, some of those hindsight stories in Hollywood are are fun to think of, you know, in another parallel dimension, what could have been. But, yeah, Bill Murray, Steve and- Martin, and Robin Williams would have been a cool trio. And this is an interesting tidbit, too. Uh, according to a Playboy interview in January 1980 with Martin Short, the original idea for the film was a project titled The Three Caballeros and was planned to have starred Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi in replacement of Chase and Short. Oh, that is interesting. So it's weird because this was clearly kicking around for a long time because he was talking about this in 1980 and this didn't come out till 86. And Spielberg was going to do it, but would instead go on to do et which is a movie from 1982 so this was one that clearly went through the rungs a few times through hollywood and apparently for one reason or another couldn't get made but it was eventually made by john landis and this is the version that we have so kind of weird to see a movie like that that it was on the shelf so long actually did get made and it's something of a cult classic too yeah, another another funny part I wanted to to mention was when they're camping out after the said scene with the singing bush and invisible swordsman, and it's another one of uh, the musical scenes and, and Ned's uh, singing on the guitar and everything, and then they're all going to sleep around the campfire, and Ned's saying good night to everybody, so everybody's saying good night Ned, good night Ned, and then for no reason there's a turtle in the desert, and I always remembered that as a kid, it always cracked us up. It's like good night Ned. Yeah, the turtle for no reason. So it's yeah. that kind of stupid '80s kind of humor and Landis and all these goofs, but th- th- those little details always help make it. I mean, I, I remembered that little bit since I was a kid, you know. And, and another cool part is the fact that it is kind of like a western. You know, there's shootouts. Well, dude, it's basically a remaking of Seven Samurai. 
you have Kurosawa. Yeah, which is weird to think about, but it is. Nakchoris yes. is going nuts here at the uh, What's Real studio, so bear with us, folks, <sighs> as we talk about El Guapo and Jefe. <laughs> but you, you I'll, I'll send you pictures, hey, Ed, of what we have planned here for, for the yeah, segment is, we're going to announce. Yeah, this is, uh, is going to be monumental, guys. All right, it stopped. But one of, one of my okay. favorite quotes is Hefe goes to El Guapo. I have put many beautiful pinatas in the storeroom, each filled with little surprises. He's like, many pinatas? Oh, yes, many. Would you say I have a plethora of pinatas? A what? He's like, a what? A plethora. Oh, yes, you have a plethora. What is a plethora? Why, El Guapo? He's like, why? He's like, why? You, he's like you just said that I had a plethora. <laughs> I just want you to know. That I want to know if you know what a plethora is. So it's it's just like little stuff like that. You know, there's the whole thing with the uh, the German pilot and Ned Neolander, and he was a fan of his, and he challenges him to a duel. You know something that kind of surprised me in this one that I didn't really remember? So, you know, like later in his career, like Chevy Chase would be kind of notorious for being in movies and like looking like he didn't want to be there at all. Yeah. I, I, that's how he looks in this one, and I don't remember that at all. Yeah, like he no, looks 100%. like he does not want to be in this movie at fucking all. <laughs> yeah. But he still does good. Don't get me wrong. But like, it's the first movie I remember with him kind of being like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to fucking do this at all. Yeah, like you said, between the three of them, he's kind of like the more background character. You know, Steve Martin. Yeah, and Martin Short and, have a and, lot of bits together and musical numbers and things. And dude, he's he was billed as the star of this too at the time. Yeah. Which is very weird, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, it was one of his, um, you know, big years was '86 for Chase with where he was. In yeah, Hollywood. it's kind of downhill shortly after. But the the end the end's really good. The the climax, the uh, three amigos uh, escape with Carmen from the the bandit uh, fort that we were talking about and get back to uh, what was it Alcapulco? Yep, was the name of the town or San Polco or something like that. And uh, they talked the they they remembered a big th- uh, thing that was actually from one of their films that they could do to kind of trick El Guapo and the Banditos. And the one thing that the townspeople are good at, the the best thing they're good at is is sewing, <laughs> of all things. So they sew all these, uh, you know, um, I, I what's the word? Hey Ed, like identical. Um, the witching hour. Let's call it out like it is. Yeah, it's already the Jay's sweating. I'm, I'm dealing with Nuktorus doing construction. It's craziness here at the What's Real podcast. But uh, yeah, the whole climax. They they all have identical uh, three amigos uniforms. So that that was always a thing. You know, I, I keep having to bring back my perspective with with always loving this as a kid. But but I always liked that because I remember like the first time I saw it. You know, like it's a cool trick because you think the amigos are everywhere. Cause they're like shooting from the roof. They're shooting from yep. like the houses and like El Guapo is all confused, but it's because all the town people are, are, you know, sewed together the, the matching outfits and the whole towns and the three amigo outfits. And they're able to uh, top El Guapo with one of my favorite lines of all time. I've used it on the podcast. Hey Ed, I say it all the time from Hefe. He says the, the, the last bandits uh, go away and he's the last man with El Guapo. And he says, I'm still here, Al Guapo, and then instantaneously gets shot in the forehead and flips off his horse, and then shoots the gun. Yeah, like because he like, lands weird, like what a stunt. Yeah. <laughs> so it's great but, stuff. 
But as we do here on the program, the J hit us with a tagline for the right, three so amigos. This, yeah, this is one of those unofficial taglines. There was nothing on the poster that I have pulled up, uh, but from IMDb. They're down on their luck and up to their necks in senoritas, margaritas, banditos, and bullets. There you go. So uh, as we mentioned, this is the last episode that we're doing for a little while of the movies that made us. And as you heard in the background, Nuck Chores has been working on all kinds of shit. And that can only mean one thing to Jay. It's the return next week here on the podcast of Thursday Night Prime. We just announced so, it, Knox. Yeah. Right, and now he's, he's all quiet. He yeah. just packed up and left for the day now. That's great. So, no, because me and him uh, got some tequila to drink. Ah, gotcha. Makes sense. So hope I hope it's yours and not his because the last time I did that with him, he bought Good point. Yeah. He's one of those Awful ones that shit. loves the, the worm. Yeah, exactly. And it's not what you think. So, uh, but yeah, starting next week back here on the show again, we're going to be doing a Thursday night prime. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But we are up against our very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to be talking some goofs and wrapping up the show. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Prime. What segment weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Evan the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Oh, what a beautiful day. Hey, yeah, summer is close. It is almost upon us. Summer here in the pit and on the What's Real podcast. Look at this beautiful setting. We say it almost looks like the Serengeti on days like this. The dolphins are frolicking. We got the new beluga whale down there. I mean, this is so beautiful. We're such fortunate young individuals, hey, Ed. We are. Absolutely. And we're not young either, but whatever. <laughs> compared to some people, man, you know? Yeah, compared to elderly people. Compared to the mummy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, not the not the movie. Uh what's his name? Imhotep. Yeah, Imhotep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're right there with Imho, as we call him. Imho. <laughs> but welcome everybody to the waterfall of goofs that always flows here on GRG one sixty foe as we'll call it. Um, I sent this one to you. This was hilarious as we open up with some animals like we love, um, you know, as we shout out the beluga whale. The wo a woman releases her pet duck into the wild. What could go wrong? And if you fa just fast forward to the end of the video, hey, Ed, another duck drowns it instantly. As you say, Mother Nature, that fickle biatch. But that's what happens to a pet duck. Yeah. Basically. And of course, the woman is is losing it and crying. But yeah, that's not going to go well. That's Mother Nature for you. You know, you you raise this duck in humankind. Yeah, his name's Wilbur, and then you put Wilbur in, into the wild. And this other, you know, of course, it's like a, you know, Wilbur's a white duck. 
this is a brown colored duck so it's like the badass and it's just like you ain't coming in this pond motherfucker yeah it's like you ain't taking our food supply you yeah. bitch <laughs> so he drowns it and she cries that's how we're starting grg <laughs> um, yep this was just a quick post that had me cracking up uh this this chick uh, at real chopped liver can't stop thinking about the time my friend sold her placebo birth control as a party drug to this guy and then we watched him pretend to trip for like three hours that's, <laughs> that sounds like goose we know you know like man where'd she get this shit i'm seeing raccoons and watermelons it's like dude it's you're like sober ra- raccoon flavored watermelon <laughs> yeah uh, this was a funny one. This was from at history and memes that has some cool historical facts. Divorce by combat, the medieval way of ending a marriage. Could you believe Stroke. that? Hey, uh, Wait, well, what, what is this now? In medieval Germany, husbands and wives could settle their disputes through marital duels. The man fought with one arm tied behind his back in a hole while the woman wore weighted clothing and used a sack filled with rocks as her weapon. If they didn't, if they didn't resolve their differences peacefully, they would engage in the duel. The consequences were severe. The husband would be beheaded if he lost, and the wife would be buried alive. Dude, I'm dying. Medieval Germany, got, ladies and gentlemen. The, the, the guy got to have one of his arms tied into a hole. So he's fucking fighting with one arm. And he's in a hole. He's in a hole. Oh, he's also being in a hole. Okay. (laughs) And and the woman's weighted down and given a sack of rocks to beat (laughs) and pummel the guy to death with. And he's allowed to defend himself with one arm. I just just sent you the picture for the visual. It's hilarious. (laughs) I'm fucking dying right now, dude. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, like I said, medieval. What uh, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> medieval Germany, folks. <laughs> there's there's one good thing about living in 2023. We don't have marital duels if you divorce. I see. I think that's that's exactly how we should handle this shit. <laughs> so um, we, we grew up as uh, skateboarders. You know, we love Tony Hawk and all the guys, Caballero and Lance Mountain, Pal Peralta for life. Uh, this is oh. our viral video of the week. Is that hey, I just watched it where a dickhead security guard steps in front of a skateboarder trying to do an ollie off of some steps, and the kid, as it says in the thing, uh, breaks his his shoulder completely. Yeah, this is one of them things that I could have told you how it would have dealt been dealt with back in the day. It would have proceeded in fifteen skateboarders beating the shit out of that security guard with skateboards. So, just throwing that out there. I guess kids are soft nowadays. They don't do that shit anymore. <laughs> yeah. This this next one, uh, it talks about Daniel Lambert. You know who Daniel Lambert is? Like from AEW, Dan Lambert? <laughs> no, no. That's, uh-huh. that's Dan Lambert. This is Daniel Lambert. Oh, yeah. The big difference. Um, but he was once recognized as the heaviest person in recorded history. So, okay. you know, when you're the heaviest what, person... It, it, what in weight or like he's the baddest motherfucker that are, like he's the heaviest motherfucker. Well, that's the thing. It, he kind of is both. So he began his career as a prison guard, earning respect for his ability to befriend and assist inmates in their rehab. Because despite his size, Lambert displayed remarkable endurance by walking seven miles from Woolwick to the city of London with less fatigue than several average sized individuals. 
His strength was evident as he effortlessly carried 560 pounds and showcased his balance by standing on one leg. That so, makes sense. Yeah, this dude, he he demonstrated his agility and power by successfully defending his dog against a bear. Like, okay. um, you know, I'm I'm in for rights to do a biopic on Daniel Lambert, the heaviest person in recorded history. I can't wait till next week when we talk about how he got eaten by a bear. <laughs> Lambert engaged with nearly 400 visitors daily, dedicating five hours to conversations encompassing various topics like dogs, sports, and animal husbandry. So take that okay. in, hey, Eel. I'd rather not. <laughs> this next one is our viral video of the week. We'll have Cam. <laughs> we'll have Cam. Uh, no, me no, no, no. That's just going to be the effect. Right now. <laughs> as, as as this dude jumps onto a barbed wire trampoline. So let's oh, let's see wait. it here live on the show. Volume. Up. He did a swanton. And he's cut bad. And off oh, the bounce. Yeah, the double bounce. Oh. For, for those listening with our infamous viral videos that we explain, this dude goes on a ladder in place of the typical trampoline is barbed wire. He does a swanton bomb flip, double bounces, and then just gets stuck in the barbed wire. It looks like his hair is tangled. And uh, he's going to have to have a cold one after this one. The best part, though, as usual, is the dudes in the background just vaping. The the Jimmy Jacobs looking dude that's there. <laughs> yeah. dude, geez, dude, what a fucking moron. To throw this in the GRGs, even though he is the opposite of a goof, uh, but that's what we do on this segment. It's kind of a variety, pop culture, nuttiness. As we remember here on the show, hey, Ed, a professional wrestling legendary icon and beloved performer as Randy Macho Man Savage passed away 12 years ago today on May 20th. Uh, here as we talk on the 23rd, uh, not too far removed from that. So I, any chance I get, as you know, Ed, to shout out the Macho Man, I'm calling him out as his legend truly lives on. So shout out to of course. freaking 12 years, man. Can you believe that, that we lost Macho? No, that's crazy to think about, to be honest with you. All right, I'm sending you this next one that I was just about to play. <laughs> this this one was just ridiculous. This is something that uh, our friend Runk would probably probably do. Okay. As a man pulls out a bow and arrow on protesters before getting mobbed by them. Oh, I've seen this before. Yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is an older video. Okay. This dude gets fucking destroyed. Well, that's why you don't pull a bow and arrow out on mugs. You it's know? A, plus, what kind of dumbass is like brandishing a fucking bow and arrow in traffic? Yeah, in 2023. So, yeah, he gets. Well, this is, this is definitely from 2021, I want to say. Oh, okay. He's a couple years old. All right, this next one, uh, this this is like maybe a new all-time classic, but you have to hear it, hey, Eel. So okay. I'll, I'll, I'll put it on for you. Uh, for those listening, this one's at O-Z-R-A-E-L-I-A-V-I. It's titled, NSW Police Explained Why They Tasered a 95-Year-Old Woman in a Walking Frame. Wait for the butt. So that's what we're going to wait for here. <laughs> she had a walking frame, but she had a knife. 
So they tasered okay. her. <laughs> they couldn't just like. They, they were like, you know what? I'm, instead of trying to fucking deal with this, I'm just going to tase this old bitch and <laughs> yeah. fucking get the fuck out of here. Like, like she can't have a heart attack from it. It'll keep her alive because they're acting like it's like the panels you put on mugs. You know, like the two. Me, of course. <laughs> um, next up, I just sent this to you. As it states, this motherfucker would destroy every single fighter on the UFC Jesus roster. Jesus Christ. It's a super chip. Yeah, if you if you guys see it, its balls are huge. It's, it looks like a creature. <laughs> its balls are huge. <laughs> yes. Check out at Uptown MMA, Uptown Funk. But uh, <laughs> check out Uptown Funk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this thing got if you abs. See- if you want to see the hairless fucking steroid monkey with huge balls, that's <laughs> yeah. Uptown Funk got you covered. <laughs> that's his name. We call him UF here at the What's Real Podcast. This- one of our new mascots. Uh, this was a great one here. Um, I'm sending you all these so you have the references because they're crazy. Uh, this one is, it says, ever since I found out about the existence of Disney World gangs, I have never been the same. We are not well. Uh, but yeah, two rival families have engaged in battle at Disney World over who gets to take a picture in front of the Disney Garden first for over a century. Gotta love people. Yeah. Bunch of stupid fucks. So what are they called? Hey, Ed, the the Disney. It's so tough to read. Resort, Im- the Disney Resort imbeciles. Yeah, the Disney Resort imbeciles. So beware the Disney Re- Resort imbeciles as told to us by Super Collision Dick Rider. <laughs> so there you go. I don't want to be on, wait there's another one there's a main street elite that's this is atrocious fuck these people and uh, as we say on the show it's being copyrighted right now but I do have rights to this biopic as well about the Disney World gangs so nobody can steal that idea Th- this one was hilarious uh, this little person got on stage while this chick was twerking and, and as it says, his intrusive thoughts went crazy, laughing my ass off. Instead of just twerking with the girl, he just started taking his pants down. <laughs> Did you get the video? <laughs> Is that Hornswoggle? No, I don't think so. That's Swornhoggle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had this story up. Uh, one, of, one of my favorite artists is Salvador Dali. My mom put him on me back in the day. And of course, he's known for being very eccentric. Did you know in the 60s, hey, Ed, he had a pet anteater? Who did in the 60s, really? Well, that's why I brought it up. So with the budget kind of coming back here at the What's Roll podcast to where we needed it to be after we kind of spent a little bit too much uh, earlier on. You didn't on, buy a fucking anteater, did you? Yes. So next week. This isn't the 60s, bro. He's due, he's due here next week. Yeah, but we have a lagoon. <sighs> so. You know, we're adding, we have a beluga whale and we're going to be having a, a pet anteater. So start thinking of names. Say Ed. I know. I didn't sign off on any of this. Okay. This I'll is name bullshit. Them. I don't mind. I, what the fuck, man? Oh my God. Fucking anteater around here. Yeah. This, this one says this headline and article were real. Yes. It's exactly about what you think it is. The headline, hey, Ed. And this is from Cedar Rapids in 1978. Ring rats infest professional wrestling. Yeah, boy. Here we go, baby. <laughs> yeah, it gets me ornery to the to the high hellness of the world. But yeah, it's a, a big article about ring rats. I, I sent it to you not to even go over on the show, but just you know, in case you want to jump into that. It's goddamn hilarious. 
But for those that don't know, ring rats are, are women that were groupies of professional wrestlers. We'll just leave it at that. Ah, the old rats. Uh, this is this is one we covered a lot on Goose or Goose over the years. As it says, I just want to know who teaches them this. And this is a, a beautiful black lady here hanging out with an orangutan. And, and it just grabs the hell out of her, like, triple D titty. You see that? Yeah. And, I mean, I... I mean, that's he probably thought it was a lime. Was. She's wearing a lime shirt. It looks like a big he lime. Probably, yeah, big lime. <laughs> no, oh, do, trust me, dude. Animals are very, very knowledgeable of titties. <laughs> this, this was hilarious. Uh, this was one of my fortune cookies. Gotta respect the longevity of Microsoft Word. Nothing about it works, and it's still the standard. Want to move an image? Go to hell. Edit a PDF. <laughs> edit your expectations. Ignore a spelling mistake. <laughs> How about suck my dick? That'll be $150. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Um, and then this is the last one. Hey, yeah, I'm sending it to you. It's, uh, you know, we love to see people falling as long as they don't get hurt or hurt too bad. But we're going out with Young Gravy. Uh, rapper Young Gravy took a tumble while doing something <laughs> sweet for his fans. And the video looks painful. Uh, for the visual, Young Gravy was giving fans roses and walking down this aisle, and there was like a little bump in the aisle, and he tripped over it and went face first. In this amazing, uh, you know, I don't know what the uh, surface is. It looks like wood. It's plywood. Plywood. So yeah, face first on the wood of ply. Young, young Gravy. Hey Ed, what are, you, what are your thoughts on Young Grave? He'd be whipping. <laughs> yeah. And we went through too many this week to do my run through. So I'm going to wrap it up, folks. Thanks for staying with us. And we know constantly here on the What's Real podcast at our beautiful lagoon with our animals and waterfall that goose are goose. So that's about the end of the show this week. If you guys are listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. Helps out the algorithm, gets more eyes and ears on the program. Of course, you can listen each and every week on your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and ChurchillPictures.com. If you have something you'd like to add to the show, you can add it by sending us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that is whatsrealpod at gmail.com. So shout out to Cam. The producer puts all the work into the show. As we know here on the program, nobody beats a whiz. And the J, Clang Clang, Tag Clang, Team Champions Clang. of Podcasting. You know how it is. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, the J, uh, revving it up, take it away. Revving it up like I'm feuding with Young Gravy is Lil, L-I-L apostrophe, molasses. Lil molasses. Hey, he had to go up against Young Grave. That's how I'm revving it up this week. But typical shout outs. I'll run them through because it's been a long one. I'm dripping sweat, which I'm not complaining. We needed the sun here in the pit, hey, Ed. But it's still, we're hungry. We're delirious. Love the show. Shout out to the wizard behind the boards, our producer, Cam. Thanks for what you do. That sick 16K sound. We love you for it. To those listening, we appreciate it. Love you all. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it with us, guys, this week here on episode 164. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 165 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's Real Podcast.